we are back with another episode of the Saxo Market Call. And today, one of my favorite topics, commodities. We are here uh, live in the studio, or not live, but we are here in the studio with Ola, and we're going to talk about three things. Going to talk about a potential sand rally in gold and silver. Going to talk about the oil market and what's next. What is the plan from, from OPEC? And then the final thing is about copper. We like copper and some interesting developments in China, to say the least. But Ole, we let's start with the gold and silver story. So we are moving closer to December, the final months of the year. And um, you looked, and maybe you can actually, you know, you can publish this uh, this chart on the um, on our X profile to this podcast. Um, so if you look at precious metals, gold and silver, the um, the returns in the past five years in December have been extraordinarily well, like 4.3% on average for gold, uh, 8.1% for um, for silver. And I don't know, I mean, the, so what, what do you think is the backdrop here? So seasonality-wise, the past five years, it looks pretty attractive. Could we get another Santa rally? Do we have the right pieces set in motion for this to happen once more? That is the million-dollar question, Peter, and uh, and I, I think the the answer is uh, is is earing towards the side of a yes. All right. Um, this was just uh, earlier in the week. I was just looking at alternative ways to look at gold because we, I mean, we can all know, we can all see the price action. Gold has done phenomenally well the last uh, couple of months here. Rallied two hundred dollars, corrected a little bit. Now once again knocking on the uh, resistance door, uh, just above two thousand dollars. And uh, as we approach the year end, I just I, I remember that back in 2020, gold had a phenomenal December. Silver as well, gold was up nearly seven percent. Silver more than sixteen, and that was the month where we in November found the uh, the vaccine towards COVID. Basically, mean that the world suddenly uh, breathed a sigh of relief, but also suddenly got really worried about inflation because uh, in the months preceding that, we've been uh, we've been. We had government handouts and we had central banks uh, dumping interest rates to zero. So that obviously raised the uh, the inflation ghost and, and gold had a very good month. So I just looked at the numbers and, and I was actually a little, little bit surprised to see that gold has been de- and silver have rallied in, th- in the last six Decembers. And the question is obviously whether this, it can be a seventh consecutive uh, rise. But I think the what we are looking at and what investors are looking at is obviously the prospect for lower interest rates in 2024. Right now, there's a 25% chance of a March cut, the first one is probably is only proper priced in for June. But at the same time, the market is looking for 1% cut next year. But are they really going to cut rates around the presidential election in the autumn? So either we're not going to see a 1% or we're going to see a 1%, uh, I would say, front-loaded at the start of the year. And that potentially could get the, get the ball rolling if, if that's the case. The dollar has uh, weakened recently, and um, that, this, that also goes with what we've seen in the previous six years, that, that there has been a little bit of dollar weakness in, in December in those years. And then I think just the animal spirit, if we do break above 2010, then I think we could see some FOMO, some fear of missing out, which could potentially set the ball in motion. But also the trend following, uh, CTA funds, right? I mean, they they tend to jump on on big uh, outbreaks, uh, at least if they perceive the probability to be high that it's an extended trend. And um, I mean, so that's the the big question. They always can become big drivers in longer term trends. They absolutely are and, and can be. So, uh, so I think the so, so I think there are several several cases, uh, several things that that could uh, align for that to happen, for this to happen. But, but uh, first of all, most we need the price to break higher for for it uh, really to set something in motion. Silver has been doing relatively well the last couple of weeks here, and I think that's really the the prospect for peak rates, which is now starting to take hold. 
that uh, that the industry is starting to uh, they can see light at the end of the tunnel in terms of funding costs starting to come down next year and that has been a major driver for some of the weakness we've seen in in uh, industrial metals this year also silver where where industry uh, industries has been bringing down uh, inventories simply because the cost of holding inventories has been too high so so silver has been doing uh, quite well recently and also the market is still looking for the market is actually forecasting a deficit in the in the coming years uh, the uh, the solar panel uh, activity has really been picking up uh, quite strong, and that's uh, becoming an increasing important part of the demand story for silver. So, um, so overall, yeah, let's see. Santa Rally is always something that attracts attention. We always talk about Santa Rallies in the stock market. Let's see whether we can have one in the metal market as well. Yeah, and you you mentioned before we uh, we, uh, we we go to the next topic, you talked about you know gold miners is always the big question. So gold miners and 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 silver miners. Uh, are they a more preferred place to to be? And you know, this thinking it always goes as you also have alluded to all of that. You know, you have the leverage on the balance sheet, so you get an even more higher, better move to to the underlying spot price. But um, I did an, a research note a couple of years back where we where we actually looked at the gold price. This is not for silver, but we looked at the the gold price versus the um, you know the the precious metals miners. Um, and I think the verdict was very clear that you just get better risk adjusted returns and even total return. Uh, by just buying the gold spot, um, so that's well, that's something to th- think about. Of course, there can be unique periods where you get more return in a compressed time period in the miners. But I think over the long run, um, it seems like it's, it's you can just go with the gold spot. Yeah, and 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 and, and that it, it is a discussion that comes continues to uh, pop up because uh, this year where gold is up around ten percent, we only. One of the major gold ETFs uh, tracking the major gold miners is, is only up around two percent. So obviously that that is something that is attracting some attention. But there's no doubt that this year mining companies have been struggling with rising costs, labor, fuel, um, ore grade quality, and and so on. And it basically means that we and I think also there's been this sense in the market that that, that gold was not really gold was not ready to break two thousand. So every time we get close to two thousand, then uh, some profit taking has, has emerged in the mining stock. So we'll see what happens if we do break above two thousand. We 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 have a shift to the upside next year. Whether it's one where miners will just be dragged along, or whether they'll they'll speed up a bit. Right. Okay. So we're going to talk about oil, and you know, it has been a, a roller coaster year to say the least. We started the year with low growth expectations then, uh, but China potentially coming on board with more growth. Uh, we had a, a rally in the oil price, then we had the Silicon Valley debacle, would that cause a recession? We, then we had the, the continuous um, cut from Saudi Arabia. Initially we got that rally going, now we rolled over, we're trading at around $80 per, per barrel in Brent, and um, as we thought about a couple of times on the podcast, all the, the Saudi strategy hasn't really Brought brought them any, you know, extra tax revenue or sorry, extra oil revenue. Uh, actually, quite the opposite. So, um, how do you see how do you see the oil price going from here? You have the EV adoption pulling oil out of the market. Mm. You have an, you have don't have an exactly a sparkling global economy. China is is slowing down. Europe is in a in kind of a recessionary um, situation, and the U.S. economy is expanding but slowing down. So it's like from the demand perspective, it it doesn't look that rosy. No, it's not, and it's it's uh, it's starting to I would say a little bit challenging our um, at least short term uh, views on on the oil market. I think longer term we're still in a situation where 
where the uh, the EV adoption, the rollout, will still not prevent demand from continuing to rise, basically mean that uh, you will have to continue to find additional barrels, uh, not only to uh, to for for new demand, but also to replace uh, uh, barrels running or uh, wells running running dry. But uh, in the coming months, um, we we are we're probably unlikely to see any significant deficits in the market simply because there's a lot of spare capacity held by OPEC countries, especially uh, UAE and, and Saudi Arabia, which I'm sure they'll be, uh, they'll, they are longing to get back into the market so they can beef, beef up their revenues. But uh, the, the dump that we saw just, uh, just in the last uh, few uh, or 24 hours, it was basically the OPEC meeting that was planned for this uh, this Sunday, the first in six months, uh, they went to a six months um, basis, uh, well, six months ago, and suddenly the news came that it had been delayed till next Thursday. And it just basically highlighted there is a discord between some of the members right now. And um, so, so obviously the bridge was too, or the, 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 the valley was too, uh, too, too wide to, uh, to bridge right now, and uh, they need some further discussions. And, and that really will, has left the market in a little, bit of a, a little bit of a flux because obviously the worst case scenario is a repeat of the 2020 price war where Saudi Arabia, um, discontent with Russia's uh, refusal to join a production cut as the pandemic struck and uh, global oil demand tanked, the uh, Russia refused to cut production. Saudi Arabia said, okay, fair enough, I'll raise mine. So they raised production by 1.6 million barrels in March 2020. Remember what happened in April? We had a negative price in WTI. Brent traded below $20. So it really uh, sent the markets sharply lower. Saudi Arabia simply cannot afford that to happen once again. So a price war, I, I doubt that will happen. But at the same time, Saudi Arabia, I think, is done uh, by uh, giving out lollipops, basically unilateral cuts without others joining them. So um, it's going to be interesting what they, they come up with. So I think at best they can prevent the market from from uh, from slumping down to uh, to key area of support, which is in the mid 70s. And uh, and the best they can hope for is is a return to the to the low 80s into into year end. So uh, really a very critical week awaits because it could potentially be a plus minus ten dollar ten dollar price reaction. Yeah, and um, well, oil is a cyclical uh, resource, so it obviously it's very important what the economy uh, what the economy does from here in terms of are we slipping into a recession or is it a soft landing? I think that's going to be a very important question to get an answer to uh, if you trade oil or uh, are interested in that market. And I still think uh, I still have the view that China obviously is the biggest joker of them all. Also, because it's still the biggest marginal buyer of almost all commodities in the world, and I think it's a good segue, Ole, to talk about the Chinese economy, the Chinese market for for copper, because there was a couple of news that came out uh, on Friday. We had that big meeting between the People's Bank of China, some financial institutions. There was a, a list that was then announced on Monday this week with 50 real estate developers um, that could tap into emergency lending. We got further news today that even additional support is coming from from, um, for, from the government to these real estate developers. And why is that important for copper? Well, copper is a very used uh, metal in, in in real estate and construction overall. So it matters. And um, all it, you know, what is happening in high-grade copper, the futures market there, um, and and how important is China for for the current developments? Well, China is most certainly uh, almost everything right now because if you look at uh, the, the 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 discount or the contango in the London market, that's uh, the highest it's been in many years. So basically, if you want to buy buy copper for spot delivery, you're buying it at a discount. If you were buying it three months later, that's uh, that's. 
that's slightly unusual uh, if you have a market where there's, t- there's tightness. But some part of, part of that is driven by the there's just a, the funding cost of holding positions. Basically, mean that industries are pumping uh, copper back onto the exchange because they don't want to hold it themselves and and carry the cost. So uh, so that's part of that. But if you look at, at China. Um, I put out a note earlier this week. I can actually tweet this uh, later when we publish the, uh, the, the the podcast. But but uh, find my note in on copper, and I put in a, a, a graph. Just simply shows that stock stock levels in China has uh, fallen to almost nothing. At the same time, the premium you pay for imported copper on the harbor in in Shanghai um, that's uh, the, what's called the Yangshan premium is more than a hundred dollars above LME uh, as prices for prices right now, and that's the highest levels we've seen for a while. And that really that is an expression of of real tightness that that buyers are prepared to pay a premium to uh, to attract to buy premium buy copper from the outside. So so that's that's uh, that's obviously highlighting the the situation. As you, as you said, Peter, you've talked about the property sector, but I think what has really surprised the market this year is the speed of the green transformation demand pick up yeah. in China. It has been really strong. And um, we know obviously all about the EV rollout in China is really progressing at a very fast pace, potentially also eventually leading to a peak in, in oil demand. I mean, Chinese uh, forecast, they, they expect a peak in gasoline demand next year. So um, so they both are tied together. And there are two things I think that are worth mentioning. So one is we have this upcoming COP28 meeting in, um, in, in Dubai, which will last for almost two weeks. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of the vibes and commitments coming out of that COP28 could potentially be a catalyst short-term maybe for, for copper or other uh, things related to the green transformation. But so that's one observation. The other one is that it must be so frustrating if you're uh, First Quantum Minerals, this Canadian-based uh, copper miner with operating the world's largest copper mine, 1.5% of global supply, the, the Copper Panama mine, as, as it's called, uh, and you're looking at this spread, uh, Ule, mm. uh, the willingness uh, or the spread above the LME. I mean, it, it's, it could be such a profitable thing to actually, you know, export copper from uh, from Panama to to the Chinese market and 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 reap that that premium. But it's they they want to close the mine down. It feels like at least Leonardo DiCaprio wants to close it down. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's been under pressure now for 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 almost a month. The the share price of. Uh, of first quantum, I think it's more than halved. So uh, yeah. it is obviously the biggest asset. So it, it's just uh, it's really not what the world needs right now. And on top of that, there's also threats uh, about a strike in Peru at their massive La Bamba's mine, uh, where they want some, where they want a high, uh, they want pay rises. And uh, there's been a 48-hour strike which ends today, but they will uh, they have announced an indefinite uh, strike from November 28th. So again, supply disruption at a time where demand is uh, is likely to uh, to pick up. That's uh, that's really a, a potent cocktail. So um, we maintain our, our long-term bullish view on on the, on that particular metal. And then I think you mentioned green transformation, and we also know how green transformation stocks has really been hammered uh, this past six months. Yeah. And again, look look towards the uh, the, the, the COP meeting because if there are the signals from there, potentially could could uh, could trigger revival for some of these sectors. Yeah, that was uh, one news uh, piece of news. Was it today? Yesterday, in the UK. Um, where there was basically an, and you know, it, I would call it an explicit, but you, the interpretation is probably an implicit government backing of an uh, of a, a wind turbine. Uh, I think it was an offshore wind tur- turbine farm in uh, in the UK, and um, I think we'll see more of this. But it, it's an interesting, and we actually will we'll talk a little bit about that in our upcoming quarterly outlook for the for the Q1. Actually, this this tension, and we saw it in the Dutch election as well. The cost of the doing the green trans trans uh, transition is is really it's it's painful 
for for some yeah. parts of the population. And as you say, you know, more strikes, more wages is not going to make the green transformation uh, cheaper at all. And happening at a time where some countries are increasing their demand for coal next year by by double digits. So um, it it is obviously this this uh, why should I why should I suffer so much when uh, when when others aren't? So it it is a it is a massive. Uh, it is a massive question. So let's see what the what the discussions will will, will focus on in, in Dubai. Yeah, it's a complex world, and um, I think that's a wrap on today's uh, podcast. So, um, well, watch gold and silver as we move into the final months of the year. Historically, or at least in recent time, uh, seasonality-wise, been a strong month for gold and silver. Uh, as Ole says, maybe the setup is actually perfect again for another strong December. Watch the oil market and OPEC's next move. Very interesting to say the least. And then copper. Could it be on the move finally with all the support coming from China? That I think is we are, we are going to find out very soon. And with those um, with those things said, uh, stay safe out there. And we'll be back next week with another podcast on commodities. Thank you for listening.